Let's turn our attention to the preaching of God's word in Matthew chapter 14. I was supposed to preach this sermon about four weeks ago, uh, and then I came down with COVID. And so you guys have the unfortunate task of listening to a sermon that's just been stirring in my heart for four weeks while I've been sequestered in my basement all alone. So please bear with me if I get a little too excited at certain points, as I have a tendency to do. Uh, I'm, I'm just excited about what the Lord has, has done in my heart and uh, laid on my heart to share with all of you. So let me begin with a word of prayer. Lord, I come before you just humbled with the task of presenting your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to, to hear you. Lord, not my voice, but your voice. Lord, you've just done a work in my heart over the past couple of weeks and was deeply meditating on, on who Jesus is and how he's shown himself in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and my pride and arrogance and just get me out of the way and you speak to your people here this morning. May Jesus be known. And it's in his name that I pray, amen. So this morning, we are examining one of, if not the most well-known of Jesus's miracles, right? The, the feeding of the 5,000. And even as I say to you, the, the feeding of the 5,000, I'm guessing that some of the details of the story start kind of bouncing through your head, right? You're thinking, Five loaves, two fishes, tons of leftovers, right? Heard it before, what's next? But what I hope to do this morning is, is help you actually forget some of the details of the story and see Jesus. Set aside the particulars of the food and see who Jesus shows himself to be. See how Jesus conducts himself. See how he teaches his disciples. I want us to look together at Jesus and who he reveals himself to be in this event. My goal this morning, my purpose, is to stir you, to stir you to contemplate the commanding compassion of Jesus Christ walk through this historical account together. The only miracle to be mentioned in all four Gospels. And I want us to contemplate this commanding compassion that Jesus has for people. As we walk through this passage, we will learn that first, you know, Jesus needs contemplation. And secondly, we'll see that Jesus has compassion. And thirdly, we'll see Jesus demonstrates command. Right? So as we study this passage together, I hope that you will find these three C's, as I'm calling them. And I pray that you yourself will contemplate the commanding compassion of Jesus Christ. Now, in looking at Matthew 14, 13 through 21, we need to actually look back at how Matthew 14 starts. It opens with Herod and Tippus, 
who is the son of the Herod you may remember from the birth of Jesus Christ, right? That was the Herod who decided to kill off all the boys two years old and younger. Well, the son isn't too much better than the father here. See, Herod was a a position. He was a, um, let's just call him a, a puppet ruler on behalf of Rome, And his job was really to stop political uprisings before they could happen. And this is why he's just fine with knocking off John the Baptist. And also why the beginning of the chapter tells us he's concerned about who this Jesus guy is. Verse 13 begins with Jesus receiving the news, hearing the news that's described in the previous 12 verses, that John the Baptist was needlessly killed, and now Herod is asking questions about who Jesus is. Quickly, we realize that Jesus is struck by this news. He's struck by the news of his friend's tragic death and the possibility that Herod is investigating him. The passage tells us that Jesus' immediate response is to want to withdraw, to go off to a place that is actually outside of Herod's oversight. Jesus is grieved by the loss of someone dear to him. He's also attentive to the potential actions of Herod. This causes him to to get away from the crowds, to, to be alone, He's looking for a a quiet moment of contemplation to himself. This is where we arrive at our first C, contemplation. Jesus needs contemplation. It's no surprise to most of you, I am a very extroverted person. I I just love people, right? I, I get energy from being around people. And being alone for long periods of time is is exhausting to me. Now, some of you are hearing that going, I'm the complete opposite. And trust me, the, uh, the past few weeks have been miserable, right? I've been quarantined down in my basement all alone trying to keep the family safe. You know, and I actually took up model making just to kind of starve off the, to stave off the madness a little bit. But, however, contemplation, what we're talking about here, is different than just being by yourself. Quiet contemplation is taking the time to turn off distractions and thoughtfully consider something that God has laid on your heart. It's not simply being alone. It's meditating on the things of the Lord and turning to him for guidance. This is what Jesus seeks to do before he gets interrupted by the crowds. You see, he feels the weight of John's death. Someone who was sent to prepare the way for him, not just in ministry, but now in death. This must have stirred in Jesus thoughts of what is to come for him. Right? Thoughts that we will eventually get a glimpse into in his prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. Don't forget, Jesus is human, just like you and me. 
right? I know how long I have dwelt on the loss of a loved one, right? You know how those, those persistent thoughts are just inescapable when you're grieving and mourning? And Jesus is, is not only met with grief here, but being God, he knows what lies before him. Have you also had those sleepless nights where your mind is trying to run ahead into the future and consider all eventual ends and you're just thinking and processing through all of that and you can't sleep at all? Well, Jesus knew the eventual end, but his thoughts must have contemplated the separation from the rest of the Trinity he knew he was about to face a sacrifice he was about to make so that us humans could have a way back to our creator. And with all of these thoughts weighing on him in this moment, he looks to just get alone, to speak with God the Father. Now we know from the text that while he set out to have this quiet moment of contemplation, he is interrupted by a crowd of people who want to see him do some miracles, who want to hear him teach some more. Jesus wants and needs quiet time to himself for contemplation. But as the crowds come in to meet him, he, set aside, he sets aside his needs to meet the needs of the crowd. Right? I've had this moment in coming home from a long day of work. I just want to come in sit on the couch, kind of catch my breath, and I hear the footsteps of Lewis running in, ready to wrestle dad, right? And I'm learning, I'm learning that I need to set aside my needs because Lewis needs daddy time. His needs are more important at that time. And Jesus sees the needs of the crowd we know, if you skip ahead to the end of the passage in verse 22, that he follows through with that intended time, right? He finds silence and solitude because Jesus needs contemplation, but he sets aside his own needs to take care of the needs of the crowd. But I have to stop and ask myself, if Jesus needs contemplation, he needs that quiet time alone to meditate on the things of the Lord, to, to seek God in prayer, why don't I seek it more often? Right? This isn't the only instance we see Jesus take time for himself, going off to pray alone. Right? If, if Jesus needs to take the time to thoughtfully consider what God, the Holy Spirit, has pressed on his heart, then I must need it as well. And I'm just struck by the detail of this, the, this detail in the story. Maybe it's, it's because it's, it's a personal thing, because I need it. it it's, it's a little bit harder for me to do that. But I would venture to guess that in one way or another, it's, it's Hard for many of us, most of us. 
if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, why don't you take more time to contemplate who he is? Right? To, to turn off distractions, to turn it all off and consider who he is and what it means to be like him. Why don't we take more time to contemplate who Jesus is? Now, I recognize I'm, I'm accentuating a minor aspect of the story here, but Beyond the question that I've just posed to us, I do think it serves a greater purpose for the story, right? It provides for us the context of Jesus's state of mind, his emotional state during this account. I'm led to believe that the weighing thoughts stayed with Jesus all the way throughout the miracle, from the beginning to the end, because his desire to get away is mentioned both at the beginning and the end. So as we look at Jesus' commanding compassion for people, don't forget that in the back of his mind, he has a personal desire to, to be alone. He needs rest. He needs that contemplation. He was on his way for quiet time and got interrupted by the crowd. Recognize that Jesus needs contemplation, but realize that Jesus has compassion. Right? He sets aside his plans because people need him. And that brings us to our second C, compassion. Jesus has compassion. I don't know about you, but I hate it when my plans get interrupted. Um, maybe this is just my man brain, but you know, when I have plans and I'm headed to go do something, like I'm laser focused on it. And as I'm going to go do it, like I'm rehearsing the, the things that I need, and you know, I'm just kind of like figuring out, I've, I've got all of this in my head. And something could come along my way, like kind of pop in my path, and I don't even see it. Or I'm so focused on what I'm about to go do that I quickly dismiss something that pops up along the way. I miss an opportunity. But not Jesus. Even though he needs the time alone, he has compassion, not contempt on the crowds. The crowds that have come to meet him at this shoreline. The text says that Jesus had or felt compassion for the crowd. This is an, an interesting display of emotion here for Jesus because the word used in the original Greek speaks of a, of a deeply felt compassion, a feeling that comes from the gut deep within. I've spent a lot of time just meditating on this and, and studying this word kind of consider what, what level of compassion did Jesus feel in this moment, right? I, I don't think it's the type of compassion that just kind of makes you feel sorry for the person, right? You know, Jesus's response here isn't, oh, that's too bad. Sorry about your bad luck. You know, that's, that's not Jesus's response. 
obviously it's a compassion so deeply felt that it stops him in his tracks. The instance in my own life that I begin to compare to, even begin to compare to, is a few weeks ago, Lewis snuck out of our backyard and he was missing for 15 minutes. We couldn't find him anywhere. Now, that's a relatively short period of time, but to Sarah and I, it felt like an eternity. And as I drove around the neighborhood looking for my son, my thoughts were consumed with where he might be and what he might be going through in that moment, right? I I felt a deep concern for my son, right? And that, that came from the depths of a father's heart and soul. And when I found Lewis, I ran to him and scooped him up into my arms and just gave him a big old hug, And on a much grander scale, we see Jesus here. He sees the crowd. His heart is filled deeply with compassion for them. And he goes to them. He goes to meet their needs, both physical and spiritual. This is the type of compassion he feels here. It's a deep emotion felt in the core of his being. What's demonstrated here by Jesus is is actually a, a key characteristic of God. God is a God of compassion and mercy. This is the God we serve. Exodus 34, five through seven gives us a glimpse and says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What an incredible definition of Christ's compassion. You see, Jesus interrupts his plans for quiet contemplation because he has compassion for the crowd. And he has compassion on them because that's who he is. The expression of Jesus having deeply felt compassion for people is actually found in eight different times throughout the Gospels. Compassion is is not only a key attribute for who he is, but it's, it's an indispensable trait, one that followers of Jesus must also have. If we are to be Christ like, we must look at people through the eyes of Jesus and have compassion on them. Jesus doesn't see the crowds as an annoyance. He doesn't judge their needs to be insignificant. Jesus sees them 
and is moved with compassion for them. Again, I don't know about you, but, but I am convicted by what I see of Jesus here. Right? If, if I'm to be Christ-like, I know that compassion is not always my first response. If I do get to compassion, it's kind of a roundabout way. Compassion is a defining characteristic of Christ's kingdom. It's a compassion that is self-sacrificial. Recognizing that Jesus not only had compassion on other people, but compassion on me as well. Right? When God lovingly looked at a world full of sinful people who had walked away from him, his initial response is of compassion, not contempt or revenge. Now we know from other parts of scripture that eventually he will respond with righteous wrath against those who reject even his compassion. But his first response His immediate response is that of compassion. And just like Jesus stepped out of the boat toward the crowd, he stepped out of heaven toward us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that he stepped out, walked as man, died in our place, and claimed victory over death and sin through his resurrection. Then Jesus, full of compassion, feeling it from the depths of his being, reaches out to save us by giving us his righteousness. And all we have to do is accept this compassion, right? confess our sin and, and believe in him as the one and only Savior. What amazing compassion. Right? When we see here that Jesus shows compassion to the crowd, it, it truly is a, a defining characteristic of who he is and what it is he's come to do. This moment here on the shoreline is just a, a terrestrial glimpse at the cosmic act of compassion he is about to perform. And that leads us to our third and our final C, command. Jesus demonstrates command. Right? You see here that the compassion that Jesus demonstrates isn't insubstantial. To the contrary, Jesus' miraculous actions demonstrate he has a commanding compassion with sustenance and purpose. But before we look at how Jesus demonstrates his command here, I want to just begin with the disciples. Right? Let's look for a second here at the disciples and their response. I think their understanding on this situation really kind of sets the stage for us and eventually what our response should be from this account. Right, I, I look at the disciples' response to the situation, and while I don't know their hearts, right, I, I don't know what they were thinking, I know my own heart. 
right? I know what I may think or not think during that time. So I wonder, right? The disciples are looking there at a rather large group of people who are out in the middle of nowhere, what the text calls a a desolate or wilderness place. The crowd hasn't brought any food and the disciples don't have enough food to be able to feed them either, right? They're thinking, whoa, this could get hairy real fast. We know how hangry Peter can get when he skips a meal. Could you imagine 5,000 men getting hangry all at the same time? There's not enough Snickers bars in all of Israel to stop the madness that's about to come. This is how they could be processing, right? In this situation, I think the rationale behind the disciples' reasoning to just send off the people to get their own food could come from two different mindsets. On the one hand, it could be they could just be thinking that, you know what, these people, they're capable of getting their own food. Why do we need to provide it for them? Let's just send them off. They can, they can take care of it themselves. Or on the other hand, the disciples could actually be caring for the people, right? They could be trying to show compassion. And they're looking at this going, you know what? We don't have enough food for these people. Let's, we're running out of time. You know, let's, let's send them off. Let's make sure that they're taken care of, right? It, it's probably coming from one of those two directions. I don't know. The text doesn't tell me here. But what I do know is that no matter where it comes from, in both situations, the disciples forget about Jesus. They forget about Jesus. They don't consider what he is capable of. They're focused on themselves. Maybe the limited resources they have or or just the overall inconvenience of the situation. Like I said, I I don't know the disciples' heart here. The text doesn't tell us. But I think these two possibilities really show us both ends of the spectrum, right? We either have no compassion, these people can just fend for themselves, which isn't Christ-like compassion at all. In fact, it's very much worldly logic. It's like the, uh, uh, like the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. Now, on the other hand, they may have compassion, but they're trying to meet it only on their own means. Right? They're, they're using just kind of sinful worldly logic. All right, let me see how I can deal with this. In both, we forget about the commanding presence of Jesus. The disciples forgot, as we so frequently do, the overwhelming command Jesus has to meet the, the need in ways that cannot be imagined. Right, look at verse 18. I, I love the quote here from Jesus. What does he say? He says, bring them here to me. What a great, just commanding line. All right, you, you can't figure all this out yet? Bring them here to, to me. Jesus, filled with compassion for the people and more than filled with the command over the situation, has the disciples bring him the small amounts of food that they have to him. He gathers the people to sit down on the grass and to sit comfortably 
And he takes these meager five loaves and two fishes the disciples have found. An amount of food that honestly is just comically inadequate for feeding a crowd of 5,000 men. Right, a crowd that once you actually include the women and children who are probably present, it's probably somewhere around 24,000 people. Okay? Just as a frame of reference for you, there's about 27,000 people who live in Brownsburg currently. A little less than the town of Brownsburg has shown up at the shoreline and Jesus is saying, I'm gonna take this little meal and feed all of you. Right? Jesus takes this humanly insufficient food and just prays a blessing over it. Now it's thought that he might have actually just used a a common Jewish blessing before a meal. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And after giving a blessing, Jesus has the disciples distribute the food. Right, the disciples begin passing out the food. And the negligible starting amounts just seem to keep going and multiplying and feeding everyone. Imagine the disciples going, I don't know how this is working, but here you go. Uh, here's yours. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know. And the food isn't just enough to give the 10,000, you know, the 24,000 plus people there just enough to get by. Right, Jesus inexplicably provides enough food for everyone to eat until they are stuffed. Right, the text says they all ate and were satisfied. And then, if that doesn't demonstrate his commanding compassion enough, there is so much left over that each disciple is left standing there with a basket full of leftovers. Now, I'm sure that many of you may still be grazing on your Thanksgiving leftovers. You are running out of time. That's just kind of a health warning there for you. <laughs> but these leftovers must have left a rather incredible impression on each of the disciples. Can you imagine each disciple standing there holding their own basket? I imagine it's just like a huge basket. I don't know. But a massive basket holding these leftovers. Each basket a personal display of the commanding compassion of Jesus. Not just for the crowd, but for each disciple. I can just see myself standing there holding a basket of leftovers. You know, I probably would have just had like a a stupid look on my face of just bewilderment, mouth open. How, uh, How did this happen? See, Jesus demonstrates his commanding compassion to reveal who he is to the crowd, to the disciples to us. The purpose of Jesus's compassion was to meet a physical need, but also to reveal a spiritual need. 
Yes, they were hungry, but they also needed him because he is the bread of life. Don't lose sight of this story's purpose. It isn't to show us how cool Jesus is or how he can take care of our physical needs. Both of those are true, by the way. But the genuine purpose of this passage is to reveal to us the commanding compassion of Jesus's character that will ultimately be on display on the cross. And his sacrifice for our sins. You see, Jesus uses the the meeting of a physical need to reveal who he is to people. And the imagery of this moment would not have been lost on the disciples or the crowd. Right? They would see Jesus with a crowd in a desolate wilderness place, miraculously providing bread, just like God did through Moses in the book of Exodus, just like God did through Elisha in the book of 2 Kings. But Jesus is not just a mere parallel to these men. No, no, no. He is the better Moses, the better Elisha. He provides the bread this time. The gospel of John follows up this account of the feeding of 5,000 with the discourse of Jesus explaining that he is the bread of life. You see, Jesus meets physical needs to reveal spiritual needs. He cares for their physical hunger so that they can see how he meets their spiritual hunger, that he is the bread of life. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this information about who Jesus is? How am I to respond? How are you to respond? Well, this morning, I would encourage you with two responses. Two responses. First, contemplate the commanding compassion of Jesus in your own life. Never forget who Jesus is, right? We, we talk about him so much and in many ways we're, we're no longer awestruck by the accounts of his ministry like this, let alone who he is. So stop, be quiet, block out all of these stupid distractions that you allow into your life And just consider Jesus. In a moment, we're going to have a time of of silence and observe communion. And as that bread and juice hit your mouth, I hope that you will contemplate the commanding compassion of Jesus that left him broken and poured out because of your sin. Know him, know him as compassionate savior and never forget, never forget that tender emotional moment you first realized what he has done for you. 
hold on to it and contemplate his commanding compassion. A second response. Count to eight. You heard me. Count to eight. Don't forget about Jesus. Count to eight. Five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. Count to eight in your daily life. Don't forget about Jesus in your compassion. If Jesus meets physical needs to reveal a spiritual one, then we must do the same. If he has the disciples pass out the food, then we must distribute his compassion today. We must care for physical hunger so that people can see how Jesus is the bread of life. This is why we do things like the storehouse and a community Christmas project. It's about helping physical needs so we can help reveal spiritual ones. Right? There, there is so much debate as to how much Christians should address needs of the world. We see people in need around us every day, and there are also people around us every day that we don't see their needs. I want to be very clear right now. Listen to me. We must do what we can to compassionately meet the needs and injustices of our society with Jesus. With Jesus. He is the only one with the command to right wrongs and heal the brokenness. A Christian who acts compassionately without directing to Jesus is only counting to seven. They come up short. But a Christian who doesn't act because they reject the need is just counting to one themselves. A follower of Jesus should be Christ-like and should have Christ-like compassion. We must show the love of Jesus to share the love of Jesus. We must take all that he has given us and share it with those around us who are just as lost and destitute without Jesus as you and I are. So count to eight. This week, as you go about your day, remember, count to eight. Demonstrate the compassion of Jesus to the people the Holy Spirit are bringing along your way. Get out of the boat. Set aside your needs. Go help people that he brings along your way. And now as, as we take a moment to turn to communion. I pray that you will consider that first response. Take a, a quiet moment to yourself right here, right now and contemplate this commanding compassion of Jesus Christ in your own life. Let's pray.
Father God, I, I come truly humbled by the Jesus I meet here in this text. So full of love and mercy and compassion, but at the same time, bold, direct, and commanding. And that he sought me to save me from my sins. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who don't know Jesus. May your Holy Spirit press heavy onto their soul this morning. May you draw them to a saving knowledge of our commanding, compassionate Savior, Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray for those who have known Jesus for a while and have grown cold and callous. Warm them, Lord. Melt their hearts. May they see that we are to live as compassionate, Christ-like people. Help us to remember you, to count to eight. Do your work in our hearts now, Lord, I ask. It's in Jesus' name I pray.